This is the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 401. Keith Livingston on Activating Change. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Welcome back. This is part two of the conversation with Keith Livingston, which I will tell you, if you're jumping into this episode cold without having first listened to last week's episode, session number 400, I would recommend listen in order because what we did was actually just have this one big, amazing conversation and crop it down right in the middle. So go back, listen to session number 400, and then now, welcome. This is session number 401, Keith Livingston on Activating Change, which I'll continue this dialogue here because this is where this half of the conversation, I would say, gets more into the personal side of what's within us as not only business owners, but agents of change, people who are actively seeing clients, and also part of a larger community. So we get a little bit more personal in this half of the conversation to really discuss this ongoing growth of what is possible as we work with our clients. Noting the title of this week's episode, Activating Change, last week sharing the transformation, we told the story of a little bit of a shift in a change process that then made all the difference. We get a little bit more both specific and theoretical, Keith and I, in this chat as to what actually has to occur for the change to be activated within the mind of the client. What's really interesting here is that there's a theme in this half of the conversation that very often it's not just a matter of this technique versus that technique. It's one of my favorite topics of asking the question deeper inside, why does this process actually work? How does this specific method actually produce a change? If you're only doing the technique because you like the technique, or you've been sold on the idea that it's effective by someone else's marketing, I will say you're clearly missing part of the bigger equation here. And instead, to go inside and be able to deduce exactly how it's working and why it's working and exactly where to be flexible within the change work to then modify for the person in front of you, that's what makes you even more effective, even more successful in helping your clients. Uh, really happy to have had Keith on this program as well as to get the personal updates on his story. And again, you can head over to the brand new WorkSmartHypnosis.com website to give a look at the show notes for this week's episode, session number 401 with Keith Livingston. You can check out his various websites. You can learn even more about him over there and keep this conversation going, of course, over inside of our Work Smart Hypnosis community. And whether you're brand new to hypnosis or even if you're already trained and perhaps not quite getting the results that you would like with your clients, while you're there, also check out WorkSmartHypnosisLive.com. This is the all-access pass to my hypnosis training library, Techniques for Change, powerful inductions that are effective both online and in person. And with Work Smart Hypnosis Live, I actually bring along a co-host, a fellow trainer, Richard Nongard, who brings in his specific brand of evidence-based hypnotic change. Rather than, I like this technique because it's fun to do or because I was told by someone else it was really effective, instead, this is that thing that I keep saying, 
shouldn't be the new hot thing. Instead, it's the method of using the change methods that have been proven with research to actually be effective. And the reason that Richard and I now train this Work Smart Hypnosis Live online event together is that as much as we may be um, BFFs and good friends, the fact is we don't do the work the same way. And there's some things that we uh, respectfully disagree on, and yet we still end up getting the same similar results with our clients. And part of the reason why we do this event now together is not just because also we're active and he's the founder of the ICBCH, the International Certification Board of Coaches and Hypnotists. It's more so the fact that rather than a narrow focus of one school of thought, learning a style of hypnosis that begins with flexibility and gives you more options to produce change. It's a live online event you can attend no matter where you are in the world, no hotels, no flights, and you could even use your own bathroom, which is a great selling point, it turns out, for a hypnosis training event. Check out all the details over at WorkSmartHypnosisLive.com. And again, on the brand new WorkSmartHypnosis.com website, take away the live, this is the brand new 3.0 version of the site. And again, check out the details of both episodes number 400 and 401, these that I did here with Keith Livingston, a huge Thank you to Keith for joining me on this program. I'm realizing after the fact for the time zone that he lives in, it may have been in the middle of the night as we recorded. But then again, with the music background and performance background, late night gigs, probably not too out of the ordinary. So a massive, massive amount of appreciation to Keith, not just for coming on this program, but clearly this was one of the moments where you got to hear me kind of nerd out and uh, have a good chat with one of my heroes. So here we go, part two. This is session number 401, Keith Livingston on Activating Change. Now there's part of your story too, if I remember right, which this is, I think you're gonna call my shot here is where I'm going. If I remember correctly, at one point you were in Seattle and there was this like almost, do I have this right? Like a storefront operation of seeing clients and like you lived in like an apartment or a condo type thing just above it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of walk us through that story of, <laughs> I, I, I look at that and it's like for years, it was always, I want the office at least a mile down the road. So because shutting down the business mind, you know, the only, I, I call it positive away from momentum was that I grew up with the business in the home and parents didn't quite have the ability as well as they could have to shut it off. I learned a lot from it. I'm thankful for all of it. There's no animosity in this. Yet at one point, like it was go downstairs and there's your client, right? Yeah. And, and actually the first place that I started, it was, I had to bring the clients through the front door and up the stairs into a spare bedroom to work with them. And uh, that, that was not ideal, but it's what I had to deal with at the time. And then eventually- Although that was, that was Seattle, right? That was Seattle. Yeah. Well, I that's where, it. you know, this is a side, just commentary here, that there's certain more metropolitan areas where that's not so out of the ordinary. You know, I think mm -hmm. to someone who I knew in New York City, that it was just the standard that because of cost of living, it was, oh, the office is this other bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and here's yeah. this internationally known psychiatrist and no, the office is the other bedroom. And can I see you Thursdays? No, the kids are home from school that day. Oh. Well, you know, I, I've, I'm always a firm believer of frame whatever you have working for you strongly, right? Yeah. If you, I remember uh, there was a friend of mine, 24 years old, and she came to Seattle and started a practice as a hypnotherapist. Now, can you imagine going to a 24 year old for hypnotherapy? I mean, most people they think, well, maybe, uh, maybe there's, it's an old guy with a beard, 
right? With gray hair. But she made it work for her. It was her personality, the way she reached out to people, the way she established rapport with people. And she became very successful. For me, it was always like, it's a relaxed home style setting. I don't want to take you into a cold office. You know, that's the way I, I would frame it. And then uh, move from there into a, into a condo. And the condo had a separate entrance on the ground floor. So there was no real contact between my office and the home. But it wasn't ideal. Uh, I would prefer to work somewhere else. And then mostly I got into training because my, as I said, my goal was, um, my goal was to learn this stuff better. So I called up a guy by the name of Michael Bennett and yeah. uh, he, he was running some courses in town. And I said, hey, uh, you don't know me, but uh, I want to start like an advanced NLP study group. And he said, just, just come to my study group. I, my students do a study group and uh, I worked, ended up working with him for about five years and teaching classes with him. And we went to Belize and Sedona and uh, the San Juan Islands and uh, did these NLP and hypnosis intensives. And it was an incredible experience from the viewpoint of we would teach eight, 10, 12 hour days. And then we would go sit in a hot tub and talk about what worked, what didn't, what we would do tomorrow, who needed what metaphor. We strategized everything. And I learned so much from him about how it all worked. And uh, it was just a tremendous opportunity for me, which I created by bothering him until he said yes. <laughs> you just expertly, by the way, skim the surface on something I want to spend five hours inside of, uh, which is that sort of more, you know, not quite more inclusive, but this way of spending that time inside of it. And I, I think to a mutual friend of ours, I believe, uh, Sean Michael Andrews, you know, previously I taught classes with this guy, Don Patterson, and just he was no good. So I trained <laughs> something else with Sean instead. Stop laughing at that. Six people are getting the joke. It's... <laughs> He's in on it. Uh, no, but it was a time that we taught something in Vegas, and it was the hours we had to pull off because the hotel only had set availability. And as much as it's the, we're going to spend enough time together in this room doing this class with these 36 people, it was the, the strategy of, what does this person need? Oh, this person's having this block. What's the story we can tell? Let's shift the sequence of tomorrow so we can start with that. And this is Again, one of the things on my hit list to talk with you about that you're someone who I got to know by way of creating relationships, creating symbiotic connections that I first connected with you because Jeffrey Ronning brought you into the stage hypnosis center world. Mm -hmm. um, would you say it was that, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of modeling of here's someone who has this ability, so how can I connect with them to provide value? Or walk us through that, because that's something that I've seen as one of your strengths. With Michael or with Jeff? Or uh, in general? Either, either, yeah. Well, I, I believe Jeff called me up, mm -hmm. and we went and met, and we, we were both a little bit cautious, because, you know, not everybody in this field is somebody that I want to hang out with. You know, it's <laughs> funny because help is part of our definition. And um, sorry, you were sharing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, have you ever seen me online way, we're with the hashtag now, but... we help people? It's that really we have a lot of politics. It turns out. <laughs> well, it's true, and I think in any sort of field or or clique. Yeah. So, uh, but one day he called me up and he said, "Hey, man, I, I want to make a product." You got something you can make a product on? 
<laughs> I said, yeah, give me, give me like 40 minutes and I'm going to write an outline. He says, I'll tell you what, you can talk. Uh, I'll ask the questions. You give me the questions and then we'll, we'll go from there. And uh, so I went over to his house. He was, he lived a, just a few minutes from me and um, handed him a set of questions. And we sat down in front of a microphone and we made the program called a practical guide to slide a mouth. And uh, it was just easy. It was easy with Jeff. He was so good at drawing the information uh, out from me. And then we went back and he edited, you know, I'm an audio guy. I'm an audio engineer. He edited the, edited the audio and I wrote the book that went along with it. And uh, we just started doing stuff like that. And Jeff, Jeff has taught me so much about what you talked about earlier, um, about letting go what isn't going to serve your purpose. I remember many times over the years, I said, ah, this guy wrote me and this, that, and he emailed me and he has this problem or that problem. And Jeff said, well, why did you answer him? Just why? <laughs> you, no, nothing good is going to come out of it. And he's, he's been right probably 95% of the time. Yeah, I can identify with that of it's the phrase that pops up where there, there's two sides of my world. One is the work smart hypnosis side, which the client business still kind of fits over in that world. And that's also the you know trainings that I do. But then here's a you know marketing piece that the hypno people can fit inside of, but it was built for a much larger audience. And it's that revelation that as much as this is now a team effort with there's other coaches, there's people on a sales team. We have someone in client success now. And it goes back to, I think, the first year seeing clients. And I remember my second client ever. Um, no, no, no. This is my lifeblood. I can't take out the Bluetooth headset because if someone calls me, I need to be able to take it. And you know, nowadays, <laughs> it'd be that, not quite accusation, but just more the inquisitive moment to go, I wonder if that's part of the reason why you're putting everything else first and not putting emphasis on your health. Well, and what would change as soon as you put the same emphasis over here, over there? And it's that revelation that sometimes all of us can get into the trap, both on the client side as well as the trainer side, of when you want the result more than the other person does. And recognizing sometimes where it's not meant to be a takeaway sale, but the, hey, here are the options, here are the details. When you're ready, you know how to find me. And yeah. really letting it become their moment. And, uh, you know, some people also just want to pick a fight. There are even some clients, I think, that want to tick off the boxes that they've tried everything. Some people are, are I personally, let's turn it around and make it me. Sometimes I'm invested in my problems. I yeah. feel like if they, if they go away too easily, then they weren't that important, were they? So it's human nature, I think, to a certain extent, to want to have suffered more than other people. And, uh, Jeff was just really good at making me understand that someone was just going to suck my time and my energy away and to let them go. So then from having the office, which was walked through my home, and now you're in this other bedroom to then now here is this other space. For those that don't have the update on the story, where are you located now? I'm living in a town called Katu on the island of Phuket in Thailand. And how? <laughs> <laughs> what, what's, what's the journey? Well, uh, you know, when my mom turned about 75, I thought, well, I don't want to travel much. She's getting up there. What if something happens? And then I said the same thing at 80 and 85 and 90. And uh, 
finally at 92, she died. And I, I was living in Everett, Washington. And uh, I, I just looked, I, I knew I was going to have to come back and clean up the house with my brothers and sisters. And I thought, I got a couple of months, I'm going to take a trip to, to Thailand, and then I'm going to come back and stay at my mom's house and take care of everything. And then I just thought, do I really want to pay rent on my apartment <laughs> while I do that? And I thought, no. I thought, well, why don't I just pack everything up, put it in a storage space, go to Thailand, came back, took care of my mom's stuff, and just came back to Thailand. And just went, this is it. <laughs> I like it here. And yeah. uh, one of my top criterion is freedom. And so the quality of living that you can have for the cost over here means that I don't have to trade so much of my time for money. And as it is, 80% of my income comes from online stuff. So I can do that anywhere. I don't need to do that in uh, the United States or New York or Chicago, I can do it wherever I want. Yeah, I was going to ask that as to how much of what you do, it seems that you're able to do less because there's not the need to have the momentum there as much. Though I imagine that's probably helped you to maybe perhaps dial in more specifically. These are the things that you're the most excited about. So that's where you spend your time. That's exactly it. And every, almost every day. I mean, there's always days when you have to go renew a driver's license or something, but probably 85, 90% of the days I get up and I do exactly what I want. And which is typically working on stuff related to music that I write and record. Has the music ever found its way directly into your work? Other than, you know, here's the skill set, here's the ability to record. Have there been projects where you've brought the music into it more directly? I have. I did a, uh, I have a CD somewhere. Uh, of um, of music background for hypnotic inductions and whatnot. In fact, I made a product um, about recording hypnotic CDs and MP3s, and I included some music that I wrote on that, but not really a big part. Yeah, yeah. So then in this journey, to look back to where you were when you started, just ravenous for learning it and you know this, this freedom lifestyle, uh, I kind of go slightly rapid fire here, which is from your understandings of what it takes to produce change, from your knowledge as to what has to occur in the process. And, you know, along the way, back to the waiting for Guffman story, we learn the things that we're supposed to learn, but then we slowly let some of it go. What would you say is different about, you know, the, the actual work that you're doing, let's say with clients at this point? I rarely take clients at this point. Yeah. I, I, uh, I would say it's much more conversational and yes. a lot less, it, it doesn't seem like therapy. And so ideally what happens at the end of a session is the client has that kind of, you know, I, I never thought about it that way kind of thing going on. And then they go away and their behavior has changed. When I knew we were going to talk, I thought, well, what do I want to talk about? And one of the things that I wanted to ask you is, is it your experience that when clients come to see you and they have a problem, the vast majority of the time, it's because they have a belief system in there which is not accurate or related to reality in some particular way. I would say that's that's part of it. The thing that's been the bigger aha would be that when you really track it down, yes, there's two methods to change. There's repetition and there's intensity, and there's usually a blend of the two. And I've caught in some gruff on this from people in the hypnosis industry when I point out, hey, look, there's people who create miraculous life shifts just like that 
on their own. Uh, apparently, mm-hmm. I got my grandfather to quit smoking when I was four years old because he did not grow up with a grandfather and he now was a grandfather. And now his grandson says to his father, his son, um, I don't want to go to grandpa's house. He smells bad. And I look at it as we have these turning points where something had to occur. And because of that occurrence, the old model of the world, and this is a charged word with some in our industry, the old model of the world doesn't work the same way. Like You can't go back to it. And I look at that and it's always, what is this turning point? So I was originally trained in more of a regression style. If you didn't get the result, you didn't find the ISE. And instead, it's the one single experience and everything shifts. Um, the the real moment of burnout from the theater career was looking at an intern that we had. And I looked at this intern and I say to him, I'm like, you know what's a problem? You're better at this and you're more passionate about this than I ever want to be. And that's a cue <laughs> that I need to get the hell out of this. And I am and again, like I mentioned some, you know, health and financial things around family members, and it's there's no negativity to it. It's this that's the turning point that had to be there. So I have to modify the question because if I ever get into this diagnostic mindset, I am hypnotizing myself to join you inside of the problem. And well, it's if, if there's anything in there, it's that belief shift that, no, wait, this can happen in an instant. You can just simply make that decision and suddenly it's done. Now, granted, it doesn't always have to be a, doesn't, it can't always be a conscious mind thing. But something has to occur to then create that shift where the old model of the world is now incongruent. I think the things that you talk about are related. Like an an initializing sensitive event or whatever they call it these days is uh, something that builds a structure in someone's mind. And you can have a point of view shifting, which takes that structure apart. So you you can come at it from... Uh, different ways. Uh, I talking about stopping smoking. I got a call one day. I was up in Seattle and I got a call from Arizona and this guy said, Hey, you remember me? And he said his name. I said, "Uh, No, I'm sorry. I I don't. He said, Well, I was the assistant manager at the hotel you stayed at in Arizona. I said, Oh, how's it going? He goes, Great. I I just wanted to uh, thank you. You made me stop smoking. And I said, "Uh, Oh, uh, well, I, I didn't intend to. <laughs> he says, well, that conversation we had on the golf course, it, it changed me. I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, he, he had gotten married and, uh, oh, no, it was drinking. It was drinking, not smoking. He had gotten married and he had promised his wife he wouldn't drink on his motorcycle rides. And then he thought it was a hot summer day and he thought, why should I limit myself like this? It's a hot day. I can stop in a bar, have a beer. No one is going to tell me what to do. And uh, so I listened to him talking about this. I said, you remind me of one of those baseball players who signs a four-year deal and has a great first year and then wants to renegotiate. And that is, that's all I said to him. I was just being a smart aleck. Yeah. And he said, I hate those guys. And I realized that's the way I was being. And so I stopped drinking. Now, That's a matter of he had a structure in there that came into play after a certain amount of time where he felt like his freedom was being impinged upon. And he had a pattern that he went through. It could have been the result of some event that happened to him in childhood or not. But bringing this other context with another way of thinking into it, like a baseball player, just took it apart for him. And that's 
when I do therapy these days, to come back to your point, not therapy so much as coaching yeah. usually, that's what I do. I look at structures. First of all, I don't generally attack structures that clients don't act me to ask me to attack, right? Thank you. If Thank they you. have, they come to me and they say, I've got a problem. And I say, okay, let's explore your beliefs around this area of your life. But the, the point is to get in there and to pull the Jenga pieces out so that the thing collapses and also to have some positive structures and some, especially some positive states, because from within a positive state, the clients can usually come up with a solution better than you could think of anyway. And what's great about that is, again, it's just that one little piece that has to move. And you know, just to go back to the reference to the ISE, it was the training model that was the, this is the only way. And that if you don't find this, it's like, well, that sort of you know gospel, this is the one true way of looking at it. Uh, it's by shifting away from that and just going, where is this belief system? So it's adopting this just absolute curiosity. It's a paraphrase of an old Bandler quote of, if you ask the right questions, you can find out why this person becomes depressed. That way you can go home and do it to yourself too. It's like, well, <laughs> or really then you have the map, which is likely the way out of it as well. I've got the uh, the woman who said that I got her to quit smoking with one sound effect. Um, it's like, wait, what did I do? <laughs> she goes, you let me, she goes, I figured it out afterwards that I was so caught up with the story where I was convinced my boyfriend was cheating on me and that's the reason I was smoking. And I just went on and on. And she goes, as I think back to it, I think you were like, like the airplane that's very clearly going to crash. Let's try to burn out the fuel. She, so like, you just let me go. And then finally, at a point of exhaustion, you just crept in with one sentence to go. <laughs> you smoked two packs a day before you met this asshole, right? She goes, yeah. I go, huh. Okay. So in the process today, we're gonna, <laughs> it's just like in that one sound, which is, you know, it, let's go to the theatrical metaphor here of, you know, I put it in the description of, <laughs> and this happened way too many times and why I laugh when I'm in the audience now and I see something incorrect happen on stage. I'm like, ah, that wasn't me. Um, when it's this intimate moment and the single pinpoint spotlight is shining on this actress's face, she's singing that 11 o'clock number in the musical. It's the big emotional moment. And then somewhere backstage, Eric, the six foot six stagehand with dreadlocks, leans up against the wrong wall and turns on the fluorescent work lights. And it's <laughs> the same as the two people in the car trying to sneak the intimate moment. And then there's the flashlight with the police officer there. And it's the suddenly deer in the headlights, oh, we're actually out of this trance-like state. And it's this more playfulness, I'd say, than anything, which you're right, that getting into that conversational structure and you know, finding that, you know, bringing sleight of mouth into this, how we can feed the same belief systems back in such a way it just doesn't fit the same way. Yeah. It just suddenly it doesn't make sense to them and it all falls apart for them. And that's, that's good. And I, the more intense a negative emotional state is, I'd say in general, the more rigid it is. Phobias are some of the most intense, you know, negative emotional states patterns that you can have. And People tend to do phobias very rigidly. They never forget to be afraid of a spider, you know. And uh, in some other part of life, that's a skill set. 
and some other part that, that's another of course wonderful ericksonian concept is that w- you look at a problem and you say where is this good where could they use this in terms of phobias if you can make almost any change into the way they're representing it it you start to get a lot of wiggle room this relates to something that i think we had a brief chat on before and it was that i heard you and it may have just been in passing as to well i found i think if i'm paraphrasing here I found a greater level of happiness or it was a greater level of success by not spending time with people who say the things that I do won't work, that I know work. And I think well, you respond, it's like, I don't remember that. It seems like something I'd say though. <laughs> I'm thinking about you know my thought process. We were talking about, I believe it was 1998 when I opened my uh, hypnotherapy practice. And I remember I literally thought, well, people don't know how effective hypnosis is. I will put a couple of studies on the front page of my website. And I thought 90% of the people who came to my website would then book an appointment because that's, I mean, why wouldn't they? Because these studies would show it was effective. So obviously they would. And the way it turns out is that some people are just not open to it at all. And I can spend my life beating my head against the wall trying to convince those people, or I can just go where there's people that want what I have to offer. I think that's one of those bigger messages that, you know, is I personally feel one of the things this industry needs to hear more than anything else. That, you know, the the sort of one of my internal quirks amongst many uh, would be that I'm a sucker for story and how in a lot of dramatic writing, and especially nowadays with like, you know, anything from the story behind the TV show Breaking Bad was, let's take the dad on the Brady Bunch and slowly turn him into Scarface. (laughs) And by the end of the series, you don't know if he's the hero or the villain anymore. And you're kind of uncomfortable that you're cheering him on. I'm like, I'm in. (laughs) Also realizing that Breaking Bad was a prequel to Malcolm in the Middle. It's the same character. Just Yeah, I've, I've seen that theory. Story continues. Or like, I don't watch anything horror because it's scary. Um, but I heard Robert Kirkman, the guy behind Walking Dead, the graphic novels, then the TV show go, it's an existence of the world where zombie literature never existed. This is exactly, Keith, I know where you expected this conversation to go. It's a model of the world where this kind of literature never existed. So there's no frame of reference. So when they show up, that's why there's no consistent name. But, oh, wait, the people who are still alive are more terrifying. I'm like, I'll give it a few seasons. I'm in. And the origin of Virginia Hypnosis, the business that was in Virginia, was on a similar point to this, which I only heard you say this after I kind of had a similar thought as to there's an audience out there that's already looking for this. And let me not be the guy who's kicking off all my messaging with not going to make you bark like a dog or cluck like a chicken. There's people that don't need to be necessarily sold on the proof for the clearing of misperceptions and everything work smart hypnosis from day one was teaching hypnotists who already do hypnosis how to do hypnosis better. And it was interesting. I I wrote an article on um, marketing for musicians and it talks about what if NASCAR wanted to expand their audience? And so they took a bunch of non-NASCAR fans and they took them into the, you know, the stadium and uh, the cars raced around and they said, well, what did you like? What did you not like? They said, well, it seems dangerous and the cars are too loud and they're going too fast. And so they took the results of this focus group and they, you know, altered uh, the way racers race. You would lose the fans, right? The NASCAR fans like fast car and loud noises. 
That's what they're there for. So there's no point in, in, in working to f just to frustrate yourself. I will say there's another side to this though. When I was in my NLP master practitioner class, there was a woman that was extremely difficult, extremely difficult to work with. She was a, uh, a polarity responder. So if you said yes, she would say no. She fought everything that you would do. So you had to think through every step that you worked with her very carefully. And I worked with her every chance that I could for <laughs> months, right? Because I wanted to be better and nobody else wanted to work with her, but I worked with her over and over and over again. And, um, because I wanted to be better. And so there is that element where, and, and at a certain point I said, okay, I've done enough. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> at some point you have to go, how's that working out for you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I learned a lot. And th the funny thing is, and, and Michael Bennett worked with her a lot as well. And what I found out later is that she had been suicidal and she was a member of a, uh, of a community group and someone else in that community group had paid for her to go to this training. And mm. she came out of the training a much happier, much more actualized person than she went in. But it was, a, it was a lot of work. So it was very rewarding, rewarding in the end, but uh, a little bit frustrating in the mid, in the meantime. Well, it, it relates to the whole, you don't know what that other person's story is, what they've been going through. And even as someone who trains, it's that revelation that, you know, sometimes there's the question as to well, how many of your students actually launch a business? It's like, well, it's a hard answer because not everybody is there for that reason. You know, they're there for the personal development journey. They're looking at it yep. for something to themselves. There's a skill set that they want to apply to another modality. So it's a difficult answer because people show up with different reasons and different outcomes uh, as to why that they're there. Um, I want to thank you for uh, diving in. And if you didn't realize it, we went slightly longer because congrats, you're a two-part episode. <laughs> um, where can people get in contact with you? How can they find more? Well, currently I'm director of uh, education and operations for the International Hypnosis Association. I'm responsible for not only the day-to-day -day big picture stuff, but for uh, providing continuing education for the members there. And you can find me at Hypnosis Credentials. And I still have um, the website that I started so many years ago, Hypnosis 101, that's hypnosis, the numbers 101.com, which provides NLP and hypnosis training materials for folks who want to learn more about how to do it. Beautiful, beautiful. And uh, before we wrap this up, any Final thoughts to share with the listeners out there. I really believe that we should apply what we learn from our clients to ourselves. I see clients, they come to me and they have patterns that they're running that are negative. They have perhaps belief systems that are not getting them what they want in their life. And I have to turn that around and look at myself as well and say, okay, where can I do better? Where do I have a belief that's not connected to reality in a way that helps to get me results? And uh, I think we should all do that all of our lives. Jason Lynette here once again, and as always, thank you so much for interacting with this program, sharing your reviews online, connecting with our incredible guests, as well as using this podcast 
as an ongoing resource in your growth inside of this incredible industry. Head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com, the brand new version 3.0 of the website. That's where you can find exactly how to connect with Keith. Check out any and all of his programs. I have, I believe, all of them, and they're all phenomenal, and I'd highly recommend all of them as well. And browse around the new worksmarthypnosis.com website. There's all sorts of new blogs, all sorts of new entries, a ton of new information coming your way. And again, check out worksmarthypnosislive.com. The pathway to successful hypnosis is a pathway of becoming confident, creative, and flexible. Watch the video tour and reserve your spot today at the next worksmarthypnosislive.com. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at WorkSmartHypnosis.com.